Turning your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians 10. <clears throat> Proverbs 27, 3 in the Old King James says this, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. We're going to talk about thought life and how we're called to think. That idea in the book of Proverbs is as a man calculates in his inner man, as you think in your mind, as you contemplate, or the way James says, as you consider in your heart, that describes the type of person that you really are. You know, what's funny is, uh, guys, we're known for not thinking. You guys ever seen those YouTube videos as to why women live longer than men? It's like, here, hold my sweet tea, and we're about to go do something stupid, all right? So that the idea is that we don't, we don't often think about what happens next. And this is the way in which we're deceived constantly. Because as you think in your heart, so are you. The ways in which you contemplate and calculate what you observe with your natural eye builds the reality that you create in your own mind and you live according to that reality. But the scriptures call us to something different. Something radically different, in fact. If you think of the call of Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to get there in a few weeks on Sunday morning. He tells us, don't think like the Gentiles think in the futility of their mind. Being tossed to and fro by everything that happens, he tells us to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Romans chapter 12 Present your body a living sacrifice and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Romans 8, 13 again, if by the spirit you uh, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We are called to live in renewing our mind constantly according to the word of God. And 2 Corinthians chapter 10 actually tells us, Paul gives us wisdom on how we're called to live in our thought life. He gets really practical. There are a lot of times that Paul is appealing to uh, uh, high-minded truths about who God is, and, and we are to give ourselves in assent to that. But the idea of the way that we think is not merely to be cerebral. It's intended to be practical. All the things that we know deeply about God are intended to affect and infect the people that we are for the way in which we live in life. And Paul is giving us wisdom in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that's very practical on the battle that we're actually fighting. Because some of you guys are drawing battle lines in places that don't matter. You're giving yourself to things, your effort, your energy, your youth to things that really don't matter. And Paul is calling us here to, to mind the things that matter, to give yourself in your mind to what God cares about most. And this is where he starts. I'm going to start in verse 3. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. You see, oftentimes I think we find ourselves warring about things that really don't matter. This is another part where we forget the rules of engagement in the way in which we're called to battle in life. And here's the reality. I know we as America, we've not been at war for quite some time, or at least uh, some declaration of real war. But the reality is the Bible proclaims, we're going to find out in Ephesians 6, that we always walk at war. 
particularly us as men, we are always at war in the battle of our mind. And oftentimes what happens in the ways in which we walk, we come up with our own ways to engage in that battle. We trust ourselves and our abilities in battling the things of our mind, particularly when it comes to sexual expression or sexual temptation. Yeah, I mean, we have on our phones, we have all the devices, right? We have the, the whatever app that it is that you use. And we think we can come up with ways to, to fight off all the issues that we have and that we struggle with. Part of the problem is when we engage in this according to our own ways, we trust our self-empowered means to overcome that which is within us. And God is calling us here to draw battle lines in a different direction and not to trust in your own abilities or your own willpower when it comes to battles like sexual purity. Verse three, he says, for though we walk according to the flesh, what he's saying is like we walk around, we have flesh, we experience things, we have feelings and all of that, we have sensuality, we experience things in the flesh, but that's not the place that we war. That's what I was talking about earlier. When you do radical amputation, the story is not over. Right? Yes, put blockers on your phone and give someone else the password. Okay? Do all those things. That's really great, but that's, that's an attempt to manage sin and to cut access off. You still have to deal with the inner man. You still have to deal with where your thoughts exist and where you let them to run if you're going to target the issue at, at stake, which is the, the target of your heart, the root issues in your heart. He goes on to say in verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they're divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. You see, what he does is he gives us not just the rules of engagement, but he gives us tools for engagement. Notice what he says first, the, the, the contrast. We don't fight with weapons of the flesh. Human weapons, the Bible tells us, are useless to, with no power to overcome real and true enemies that we face. Colossians chapter 2, verse 23. What Paul does in Colossians chapter 2 is he builds this case that all wisdom is found in Christ. That's why he tells us in, at the end of chapter 1 to proclaim Christ. That's our job, to make everyone complete in Christ. And then he says all of our wisdom is found in Christ. He contrasts that to say in verse 8 that uh, we are to stand against empty philosophies and vain deceptions. Then he goes on to tell stories about how people are engaged in those empty philosophies and vain deceptions. Verse 23, he closes by saying, these things are powerless to overcome the indulgences of your what? Flesh. That's the ability of our human weapons that we often try to engage in this war of the mind, the thought life that we have. Human, human weapons cannot liberate your soul. Sometimes we entrust our ability, our morality to our own strength, thinking that it will liberate the entanglement that we have. We'll just keep this quiet. Nobody else will know. It's something I can get over. I'm only struggling with this this one time. That's the rationality of a fool. Because whatever it is that you can muster in your own strength is not going to overcome the indulgences of your flesh. You don't have the power within you, the Bible declares, to overcome the things that are at war within you. You need something that's outside of you, the gospel of Christ. And so he goes on pleading with us not to engage with human weapons because they can never transform 
us as sinners. Next, he goes on and he says this. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Now he's getting somewhere where he's describing the goals of engagement. What are the goals of engagement? In order for any change to happen, you must destroy the strongholds within you. Now, what are strongholds? If we can develop this for just a second, it's the patterns of thinking that you have in your mind that are raised up like a fortress in your heart. As those patterns of thinking happen in your mind, you begin to convince yourselves of truths and realities that you've built in your own mind. You become sort of an echo chamber in your own world. What that means is you only hear your voice as the primary voice that tells you what you think is true and what you think is false. And when you get on this path of being tempted constantly by the flesh, particularly in sexual immorality, and you begin to think in those patterns and give yourself to those types of temptations and be delighted in your eyes, what happens in your heart is the Bible says a fortress is built, a stronghold is built. I want you to think of the imagery of Jericho. That's really the picture that's given here is a fortress, a fortified city, and it's guarding something. What's it guarding? All the things that are tender to you in your own heart. The very things that God said needs to be ripped from you because it's destroying you. You've built a stronghold around it to guard it. And how do we demonstrate this guarding, that there's a stronghold in your life? You managing your own sin. You thinking that you have the wisdom, the ability, the willpower, the strength, the morality to overcome what it is that you're wrestling with in the inner man. And these are our strongholds. But he tells us the goal is not to manage those sins, but to destroy those things, to destroy strongholds, to do what? To do what? To erect something else, to erect the stronghold of God. But he tells us that it's only by divine empowerment that we can destroy strongholds. The idea is that we tear them down. We're demolishing. I want you to think of Gideon. Gideon is a really great picture, expression of what Paul is trying to describe here. Because notice when Gideon was called, he, didn't, he wasn't just called to build an altar to the Lord. Because if he built an altar to the Lord, what else would still exist? an altar to Asherah, and what would happen? People would divide their loyalties, and as Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. And so what was Gideon called to do first? Tear down the Asherah, for what purpose? To let everyone know that there's only one true king. There's only one true king to give your life to. And we worship at the altar of God. The same needs to be true in your own heart. Too many of you in this room are trying to keep the Asherah that you give to your self-indulgence and also yet worship at the altar of God. And God says, you can't serve two masters. So what are we called to do? We're called to change in two ways, to destroy the strongholds. How do we do that? Not by our own strength. This is by divine power. We trust in the truth of what God has given. Verse 5, he says, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised against the knowledge of God. So what's most critical here? What's most critical here is the patterns in which we think, the truths that we believe in our heart. Because you can intellectually assent to something that God says, 
but in your heart want something else. And by that practice, you are a practicing atheist, not an affirmer of the truths of God's word. And so God calls us to deny everything that's raised against the knowledge of God. Well, first of all, you have to ask yourself the question, how do you know what's raised against the knowledge of God? Remember, remember, let's get back to the beginning. If we are called, if we are called by God to understand who he is and to renew our minds, what's our primary enemy? The Bible describes it, boils it down in several places. 1 John 2 is one place, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are our enemies. And how does the devil entice us by the passions of the flesh? Uh, I love the way Joel Beakey and Mark Jones described this. It says, we are called to be vigilant and watchful because Satan's chief means of destroying people is through deception. The Puritan William Gernal says it like this. Gernal said, no actress has so many dresses to come in upon the stage as with the devil hath forms of temptation. You see, what the, what the evil one does is he lures and entices you in your thoughts according to your passions and your desires. And if that's the case, what we have to understand is not just live in an echo chamber of our own thoughts. We have to, as Scripture calls us to in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, we have to dwell upon the Word. Allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly that we know the word, we memorize the word because it's in those moments that we compare and consider. Remember, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Because as life unfolds around you, you can't help it. You're a revelation receiver. What that means is as life is unfolding, you're making interpretation as of what this means and how it impacts you. And if all you do is have the backdrop of your own echo chamber or society at large, you're going to misunderstand the realities of the world. You're going to think that the way that woman dresses is for you and for no one else. And you're going to begin to treat her in that same way, as opposed to thinking the way God tells us to think about our sisters in the church. For us as men, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1, he tells us how to think about older men. Treat them as what? fathers. And as younger men, treat them as brothers. And as older women, treat them as mothers. And as younger women, treat them as... And so I tell my boys, listen, don't you be thinking about that girl in ways that you wouldn't think about Ellie. Ellie's their sister. Would you think about Ellie like that way? Would you treat her like that? This is the truth of the reality of God's word and how we're called to interact with each other. Yet in our minds, when we divorce ourselves from considering what the truth of God gives us, we begin to believe something faulty. And we begin to think that that is for us and we go after it. And that's how sexual immorality is born. And we pursue doing things that we never intended to, to do. And so what are we called to do? We're called to consider the word. For what purpose? So that we can destroy strongholds in our mind. Now, here's the truth. Is that God, you're not, according to what most secular psychologists would say, you're not bound for an eternity to just simply cope with the being that you are. There is freedom. For all of you who struggled with some of these issues that we've talked about today, there is freedom according to the scripture. All of those strongholds, the Bible says, can be destroyed. How? Not trusting in you, but trusting in the truth of who God says he is and believing and walking according to the faithfulness of that truth. We're, destroy or we're, we're destroying speculations. What do speculations lead to? Faulty narratives. 
but yet we're living according to those faulty narratives. We, we respond to those conceived realities in our mind. We make them as if, as if they are true, and we respond to them. For example, you guys get sirens last night with tornadoes? Yeah, and so when that happens, if it's a real thing, like you respond accordingly. You contrive a reality in your mind with your own speculations. And then you begin responding to those things appropriately, emotionally, behaviorally, and every, you give yourself fully to it. But we destroy those speculations. How do we know it's a speculation? If it's not according to the word of God. That's how we're to consider. That's how we're to think is according to the backdrop of the truth of what God gives us in his word. The next thing he tells us is we're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. So what, what are things that are raised up against the knowledge of God? They're the most damning things for you. Is those types of, that type of thinking always leads to deeds that fulfill the flesh. And so in God's kindness, one of the reasons we see suffering all through the scriptures is in God's kindness, James chapter one, he allows suffering into our life to strip from you those things that are killing you so that you will be emptied of the trust that you have in the things of this world built by speculation and faulty knowledge against God so that you will then trust in the only true thing that exists and that's God himself. And so we're called to destroy speculations and every lofty thing raised against the knowledge of God. That's the first part of human change is you start saturating yourself with the word that you begin to look and evaluate the patterns in which you think to destroy all of those strongholds. How do you recognize strongholds? You don't just open up your heart and like, oh, there's one and there's one. No, you see the deeds that you're doing. You see the passions that you pursue. You see the worldly desires that come fleshing out of you. And then you can see, God tells us, where does that come from? From the fountain that's in here, in the patterns in which you think. And so this is how we begin to destroy those patterns from within. The second thing he says here is not just destroying. That's, a, that's the first part. We also then have to build up. We are taking every thought captive. This is the part that we probably struggle with the most. Learning to take every single thought captive. Why? Because thoughts leads, lead to deeds. Thoughts left unchecked lead to realities in which you will respond to. Thoughts unchecked lead to realities that you'll respond to thinking that all of these things that are in your presence are really there just for you and your indulgence. And now you take that application in sexuality and you find out how we can be so pervasive in sexual immorality. So what are we called to do? Destroy strongholds, learning to take every thought captive. Because you understand that that thought, as harmless as it seems in that moment, will grow to maturity to where you will begin to do deeds that you never thought was possible. Here's the reality, and I'll, I'll leave you with this. If we do not take our thoughts captive, our thoughts will take us captive prisoner of the war within. So this is a battle worth fighting. And the Lord tells us the way in which we win it is we understand the word to destroy strongholds that we've built by our own thinking. And then learn to take thoughts captive. And the final piece he says is to make it obedient to Christ. How do you make a thought obedient to Christ? Let's take one example in relation to sexuality. Whatever station of life you're in, married or unmarried, you take a thought, a, a temptation, a lustful thought in that moment. 
we're to make that thought obedient to Christ. Because if you leave that thought and you say, well, like, don't think about sex. Don't think about, what are you thinking about all the time? Sex. That's not destroying a stronghold. He, he says the way in which you overcome that thought is now make it obedient to Christ. This is not passive, not God's wand, and you stop thinking about bad things. It's an active pursuit for you. And you actively pursue what? Thinking according to God's ways. Make the thought obedient to Christ. So instead of me seeing some lady I want to lust after, I should be thinking about the beauty of the gospel in terms of my wife being able to engage. For those of you who are single, you're, you're called, 1 Corinthians 7, to devote all of your passions and desires for the beauty of the gospel and the unity of the church with Jesus and his bride, that one spirit union that the Bible describes that's greater than anything even in temporal marriage. So we're to take those thoughts and now make them obedient to Christ. The lazy Christian that is not mortifying the flesh every day and taking thoughts captive will be captivated by all the allurements of the world. And you will be entangled in sin to where you see that in your mind there's no way out. This passage gives hope for freedom, but it also warns against the entanglement if you don't take every thought captive and actively make it obedient to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word, the wisdom that you give to us. I pray that you will make us men who are not passive, but active, strong men who pursue the word to such a degree, God, that we see how these thoughts that we often think are harmless and meaningless, how they grow into passions and desires and deeds that are displeasing to you and harmful to us. Lord, help us to live for the sake of your name. Help us to take these things seriously and to labor every day to take thoughts captive and, Lord, to make them obedient to you in Christ's name. Amen.